Please remain standing for our passage. You can see that this is God's idea. And in fact, I will say I laid out this topical series with each Sunday, uh, planning this one to be the Sunday for God's gift and how to handle it, the sex drive. Then I found out this lands on Mother's Day. How appropriate. Genesis chapter 1. So God created man, verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. You know what that involves, don't you? Don't you? And at the end of that day, what did God say? Behold, this is very good. Very good. Let's pray again. Heavenly Father, as we turn to your word, I pray that you would enable us to look up from this world into your eyes, that we would catch what you originally gave us in this wonderful, powerful gift, and that you would give us a heart to follow you in it, to obey your rules of the road so that we can enjoy the blessing of your gift and not hurt ourselves or hurt others. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. I'd like to introduce you to Coach Crumb and his wife, and that's uh, their son Chase standing behind them. They are from uh, Bristol, Florida, just outside of Tallahassee. Coach Crumb, along with some members of the team, his uh, baseball team, parents, and community volunteers, were having a work day at the baseball field to repair damages from Hurricane Michael. This was just this past March. Coach Crumb was operating a boom lift and unloading a piece of equipment from a trailer when the boom of the lift made contact with overhead power lines. Crumb was then shocked by the electrified boom lift, prompting his wife to rush to help him before she too was electrocuted. The couple's 14-year-old son, Chase, was also burned but is expected to survive his injuries, the Tallahassee Democrat reports. This is, this is not a pun. This is a, a shocking story. I don't mean that humorously. It, this is shock preaching because sometimes we need to be awakened to the importance of something. I ask you, is electricity a blessing or a curse? It is a powerful, powerful, powerful blessing. When the winter is cold and the power goes out and it lasts for just a few days, don't we begin to be miserable? Don't we? Electricity is a wonderful, wonderful blessing. But because it is so powerful, it has to be handled so carefully. God gave us the gift of sex, to be experienced in the lifelong commitment of marriage between a man and a woman. 
This is the main point of this message. I'm not going to try to do a from the pulpit birds and bees talk. That's not the point. We want to lay a moral foundation for our lives. And to lay that moral foundation, often the church comes across as the no, 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 no. The, the naysayers, the negatives, the, the prudes, the ones who, who are against joy and pleasure. That is not the case. It's just like the temptation of, of the devil when he went to, to Eve in the Garden of Eden. And he said, did God say don't eat of any of the trees of the garden? You see what he did? God gave them the garden to live in, to be their delight, to be their home, to be their pleasure. And he only gave them one tree that was a test. Would they accept God's word for what's right and wrong? Or would they decide for themselves what's right and wrong? It was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It was the test, the sign that showed they would trust God or decide on their own. And Satan exaggerated the prohibition to make it sound like God is this cosmic killjoy. Somehow we, we have this image of God up in heaven with this uh, bobby stick. And as soon as somebody starts having fun, it's bop, hit you on the head, stop it. That's the way the world sees the church. We know better. And as our, our children are growing up in church, I want to impress upon you that God gave us this wonderful, wonderful gift to be experienced in the life of long commitment of marriage between a man and a woman but because it's so powerful outside of that lifelong commitment what was given as a blessing what God said this is very good becomes the cause of great hurt to others and to ourselves do you see how much it is like electricity now I'm going to begin with our points at the end, chronologically, because there are many who are here this morning that have already stepped over the line, that have already blown it. You think about your your past and, and your history. And we have to remember that this is not simply a, a moral story, a morality lesson for our young people. And then as we grow up and we fall on our face, we mess up, that somehow we we go down in rank. This is a message from the Word of God that is founded and centered on the grace of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. And we have to remember how Jesus touched the lives of those who had blown it, those who uh, had lived out of bounds. Turn with me, if you want to, in your Bibles to uh, Luke chapter 7. Beginning in verse 36, for the sake of time, we won't read it all. I'll just read a couple of verses from it. Now, one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. So he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. When a woman who had lived a sinful life, the translations say a woman who's a known sinner, who lived a sinful life in that town, learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. She brought an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, 
he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. How often is the church like the Pharisee? Is that the way we treat one another when we find out something's going on when someone who's really broken, who's lived outside the bounds, comes? May it never be. This is why I put it up first, so that if someone is hearing this message, hearing this subject, and there's something that's that's kind of painful that, that makes you wish you weren't here, I want to put first that Jesus reaches out to this woman and to you. He tells the Pharisee the parable of the two debtors, the one who's been forgiven little, the one who's been forgiven much, and he asks, now, which of them will love him more? Which of the two debtors? Simon the Pharisee replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. I love the way he said, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. He's begrudgingly admitting. You judge correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, You see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss. But this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not pour oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. See, it's not that her love earns her forgiveness. It's evidence that she appreciates the forgiveness of her sin. Her response shows she gets it. But he who has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. If any of you in your teenage years, in your adult years, have touched the water and been terribly hurt or even worse, if you haven't been terribly hurt but you've left someone in your wake, terribly hurt that's even worse you know the it's the the sociopath criminal that's the worst isn't it because he has no feelings no remorse about what he's done he just hurts people so that's even harder to deal with may god give you sensitivity uh, give give you a a, a quick uh, conscience so that you would as we in the membership questions we would admit our sin and our need for christ If we don't have that, the sociopath can't love either. So if you have been hurt or you have hurt others, realize your need for Christ. But don't let this just be a morality lesson that you're going to determine determine to do better in the future. Come to the Lord Jesus Christ and hear him say, your sins are forgiven. But here we don't presume upon that forgiveness. It changes our lives. Don't believe that the woman who came to Jesus in this passage left and continued, probably as a local prostitute, probably is what she was. She didn't continue in that, not after meeting Jesus. Her life was changed. In Romans chapter 6, verse 1, the Apostle Paul says, What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. God forbid. What an anathema. 
We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Here's my illustration for this. Uh, when our grandson Carter was five years old, he fell off the trampoline and broke his arm. His parents were out of town on a day work trip, so he had a babysitter. Guess who the babysitter called? Us. We went racing down there, and uh, it was actually before one of our pastor's dinners, and it's like, Mary's going, you go, I'll handle this, and I get down there, and Carter's arm is hurting so bad, and you can see that it is misshapen. It took, the, the paramedics arrived. He would not let anybody touch his arm. It hurt so bad. And we gradually, over time, got him into my arms where I could hold his arm in a fixed position. And I climbed with him into the ambulance like that. And we went down to Chippenham Hospital where they began to give him, I guess the paramedics began to give him something for pain relief. And uh, they, the doctor at uh, Chippenham was great and began to give him uh, you know, pain relief. And as he settled in, they took x-rays of his arm. This is what we saw just makes you squirm when you think about it. You see the, the arm? That's the actual x-ray. I didn't just pull that offline. When he took the x-ray down there, granddaddy says, Carter, they took a picture inside of the bones inside your body. That's really cool. His pain was going away. He said, yeah. So you think we can get a picture of it? You want a picture of it? Yeah. And so we took the x-ray of this and and now he's 14 years old we went to a football game yesterday he caught a couple of passes he's running around it is strong again it is it is healed it is wonderful that god created us in such a way that we can be healed so is the upshot of that to say hey carter there's healing for this so it doesn't matter let's go out and break your arm again God forbid. What an anathema. That's the way we should treat sin. Instead of saying, ah, it doesn't matter. You can always be forgiven. We need to realize that we are hurting ourselves or hurting others or both. And as we do that, then we, when we find the grace and forgiving and loving touch of our Lord Jesus, then we go out in purpose to follow him and not to do it again. Carter's had a second broken bone on a bicycle when a neighborhood kid ran out in front of him. Things happen in this life. Praise God for the healing. And there's, Peter asked Jesus, how many times should we forgive sins? Seven times? Peter thought he was being generous. Jesus said 70 times 7. It's really take, it's unlimited time because that's the way God forgives us. But if we realize the hurt of sin, we don't presume upon that to say, oh, it doesn't matter. Let's go out and break the moral bone. Okay, so having uh, uh, covered that, if, and I hope if somebody really came and, and they realized the subject and they don't even want to think about it because of the pain. I, I hope you're able to think about it and to come to the cross with it and find the grace and forgiveness and healing that is there. Now let's think about 
how we can uh, resist the temptation and not fall into the pit again. So we're going to talk about, about temptation. Why are we tempted to sex outside of marriage? Now, I know there are some who just pursue pleasure. They're just, just hedonists. And whatever, whatever gives you pleasure, that's, that's their reason for doing it. But I think that the temptation can cut uh, more deeply than that. When, uh, when we have basic needs, we need uh, to feel loved and to be forgiven, uh, uh, to be significant. We have needs for love and significance. Now, we ought to find those needs met in the love of God himself. He's the one that can truly, eternally, completely meet those needs. Nobody else really can. Jesus said to the woman at the well, who was, had had five husbands, and, and either that means she had affairs with other five husbands, or she had had five marriages fall apart. The Bible's not exactly clear on that. She was at the well. Jesus said, if you would ask of me, I'd give you living water. You never have to draw from it again. It would satisfy. She said, give me this water. I won't have to come out to the well. And he said, that's not what I'm talking about. He's talking about a spiritual satisfaction, a spiritual well-being. A fullness of soul that we won't thirst anymore. We find our needs met in God's love for us. He's the one that created us in his image. As Marty pointed out last week, who are we? He started this series off with the wonder years. Discover who you are in the light of God and his love and grace. Because if you don't find your needs met in God, then you, you turn to others and you look at others thinking, you need to meet my need. We, we don't say that out loud to ourselves. But it's our instinct. We look to others and say, I will love you if you love me. If you meet my needs for love. I will respect you if you respect me. You meet my needs, I'll meet yours. You scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. That's the natural way to approach relationships. It's a sandy foundation for any relationship, including and especially marriage. If you think, I love you because you're attractive, then guess what happens as time goes on? I am proof of it. You become less attractive as time goes on. And if, if Mary looked at me and said, I love you because you're attractive, it's like, the sand runs out of the hourglass. But if you learn to say, you are attractive to me because I love you. See the difference? It's a huge difference. That's a love that can stand the test of time. And we can only do that if first and foremost our love needs are met by God. Our significance needs are met by God. I think that... Uh, it could be, let's see, I'm going to read this and get it exactly the way I worded this out. Instead of finding joy in the love of God and in loving others the way God calls us to love and in serving others the way Christ served by giving his life for us, we want to be loved and considered significant by others instead of by God which sets us up 
to give in to sex, to gain love. Perhaps that's the greater temptation for girls and women. Or to get sex, to prove our significance. Perhaps the greater temptation for boys or men. That's how subtle the temptation can be. It's not, it's not just, oh, you're just out for your own pleasure, you don't care about anybody else. Yeah, there are some that are that crass in that way. But many are really trying to meet a deeper need that can only be met by God himself. To be loved and feel significant. Don't, don't give yourself away in order to gain love. It doesn't work. You end up feeling used. Don't take what is not rightfully yours from somebody else in order to feel like you're important, you're king of the hill. Because all all it does is it makes you an abuser and user. Hmm. Recognize those temptations. Proverbs uh, 14 talks about this. It's it's interesting that uh, this is the warning from a king to his son. But you have to uh, use your own imagination applies both ways between male and female. The Proverbs, uh, well, let me first go to Proverbs 6. Go to Proverbs 6, uh, verse 20, where the king is telling his son, My son, keep your father's commands and do not forsake your mother's teaching. Bind them forever upon your heart and fasten them around your neck. When you walk, they will guide you. When you sleep, they will watch over you. When you awake, they will speak to you. For these commands are a lamp, this teaching is a light, and the corrections of discipline are the way to life, keeping you from the immoral woman, from the smooth tongue of the wayward wife. Do not lust in your heart after her beauty, or let her captivate you with her eyes, for the prostitute reduces you to a loaf of bread. That's all she sees you for. The adulteress preys upon your very life, Can a man scoop fire into his lap without his clothes being burned? Can a man walk on hot coals without his feet being scorched? goes on like that. One of the proofs of the inspiration of the Holy Scriptures by the Holy Spirit, by God himself, is that Solomon wrote this. Solomon of a thousand wives and concubines who was led astray by his wives and concubines. This is wisdom beyond Solomon as he is writing this. He knows better than he did by the Holy Spirit. We know better than we do. It's just important for us to realize that we can think something is right and it be wrong. What feels so right can be so wrong. Debbie Gibson is uh, by her own testimony said, I'm a born-again Christian. And she wrote a song years back that we even sang in, in youth groups. You light up my life, you give me hope to carry on. You light up my days and give my night a, a song. But then right as she hit the climax of the song, is said, it can't be. You see, it can't be wrong. When it feels so right. Yeah, it can. It can feel so right and be wrong. Proverbs Proverbs, uh, 14.12 says, 
There is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it leads to death. If we recognize that, we won't trust our feelings. If we trust our feelings, we're going to justify everything we want to do. Because in the moment, it feels right. You know, Coach Crum did not intend to do anything wrong. He was doing a good thing with the volunteers. It didn't change the fact of what electricity would do, did it? Don't trust your feelings. Trust the designer about how he designed this beautiful, wonderful gift so that you are not shocked by it. Don't get burned. Now, lastly, I want to say that this is beyond reason, though I just gave you a rational explanation for realize how how dangerous it is and don't get burned. But there's something that is just beyond reason about this. It is a sex drive. It's a biological drive. It's the way God made us. And it is a, a, the illustration I'm going to use is driving a car. Imagine that you're 12 years old or maybe a little uh, younger, a little older. Maybe male or female. It applies to both. And you wake up and you are behind the wheel of a car and the engine is running. It is running. You all know what I'm talking about, right? You get to that stage where the way God designed our bodies, something starts running. The engine gets going. Now, if you were the parent of that 12-year-old and you looked out the the window and you saw the car running with the 12-year-old behind the wheel, what are you going to do? You're going to come flying out the door saying, stop. Stop! Get stop! Wait! Is it because you're a, a negative, mean, nasty, scolding parent? No! It's because you recognize the engine is running. He or she is behind the wheel. They don't know the rules of the road yet. They don't know how to drive. They're not old enough yet. Oh, you can see all the parallels here, can't you? The world is saying, put the pedal to the metal and enjoy the drive. It is exciting and it is scary. It's exciting and scary for both the 12-year-old and for the family and for the parents, isn't it? Because there's such power in the way God made us. Now I ask you, is driving driving a blessing or a curse? It's a blessing. It's a blessing unless whether you are 12, 18, 25, 45, you decide, I'm going to drive however I want to, my pedal to the metal, I'm going to drive on the right side of the road, I'm going to drive on the left side of the road. That's a stop sign, I don't care. Stop light, that's just for sissies. You drive like that, you become a terror and you're going to kill somebody or kill yourself. You see, there's such power in the privilege when you realize the engine begins to run and there's power in the way God made you he gave you an owner's manual it's in his word and he says I give you this beautiful wonderful gift for the lifelong commitment of marriage 
I want you to enjoy this in the context of a loving relationship. Now, just like we said about Mother's Day, not everybody is in the context of a loving marriage. I get that. I do get that. Every bright and beautiful gift has shadows in it in this fallen world. Whether it's separation by death, whether you've been hurt because of of previous uh, uh, offenses in this area, adulteries, your marriage has fallen apart, whether you just have not tended to other sins in your marriage, and there's a lot of conflict in your marriage. Whether God has led you at this point to, to be single, whether you're too young, you're like the 12 year, you're too young to, to be in the context of marriage, whatever it is. I realize that when I say God has given this as a, a blessing, a gift for the lifelong context of marriage, you say, but I'm not in a lifelong good marriage. So I have to go outside. What are you really saying? What you're saying is, I don't care. I'm going to grab that wire. Instead of saying, hmm, thank you, God, for insulating me from the hurt that can happen outside of the context that you designed this for. I would call on all of you, whether you're in the context of 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 a good marriage, if you're in a difficult marriage, if you're outside of marriage, honor God from your heart. Embrace the forgiveness that is yours in Christ, but turn to follow him. I'll close with this. We ought to learn from those who uh, have experienced the joy of it. I mean, I grew up with Christian parents, and I thought they were pretty strict on things. I mean, we didn't even dance growing up. That's why I'm such an awkward nerd. But they were pretty strict. But when Mary and I were getting married, my father was the pastor, which meant we went into him for, for premarriage counseling. He said, when I was 20, I had a lot of cavities. I thought, where is he going with this? He said, I wish somebody had told me. He said, I figured by the time I was 40, I wouldn't have any teeth. He said, but the rate of cavities slows down, evidently, as you get older. And I still have my teeth. I wish somebody had told me that when I was 20. He said, there's another thing like that. He said, I assumed when I was getting married that this was the peak, that everything as you age just kind of went downhill from there in terms of the enjoyment of sex. I'm thinking, this is my father. (laughs) He said, I haven't found that to be true. I wish somebody had told me, so I'm telling you. Okay. (laughs) But you know, I took that and ran with it. <laughs> it was fine. And the thing is, it, 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 it applies to, if you find another, the, your spouse attractive because you love your spouse, it doesn't matter as you ripen with age. Your, your love is the expression of your desire. Your body may begin to slow down. Everything may... But there's still a pleasure of just belonging to each other. And God gave us this gift to bind the two to become one. When my parents were in their 90s, we had to have a monitor in their room because they could fall. In fact, they did. My mother did. 
is we had to have round-the-clock caregivers, and they had the baby monitor listening to the conversations. And the caregivers were telling us when we go by and said, it is so fun and kind of embarrassing to listen to because your father will say things like, Catherine, I love you in the daytime, but I especially love you at night. He'd say, I love you spiritually. I love you romantically. I love you emotionally. I love you physically. That's why he sweet-talked her at night in his 90s. Wow. Listen to that and think, it's worth listening to God. Deal with the hurts, the harms, with the forgiveness of Christ. Follow Christ and you will find that there is delight if God gives you the context of marriage. There is delight in containing it here. And if you're outside the context of marriage, you are protected from grabbing that wire that hurts so much. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this this wonderful, beautiful, powerful gift and for your word which instructs us as to how we should use it, how we can be blessed by it. I pray that you would give us hearts that would want your will to be done in our lives as it is in heaven so that we don't trust our feelings, we trust in you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.